We thank you, O oh God, for the gift of your presence here and now. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness <clears throat> and into your marvelous light. You brought us here. You made a home for us. You're making a family out of us. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus reigns over all things. <laughs> it's not conditional upon anything. It's the truth of who you are. So we pray that this morning that we would locate ourselves again in the good reign of our God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us know ourselves in his love. Help us know ourselves in his story. Help us know ourselves in his mercy. Help us know ourselves in his authority over all things. And help us know what it means for us to walk in the way of Jesus Christ. We're calling upon you for that. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. It is a delight to see you this morning, New Life East, if you're new with us. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. Two other things I just did just want to announce by way of uh, things that are happening in the New Life world. Uh, with it being Easter weekend, this coming weekend, uh, we are not able to get into this building on Friday early enough to have a Good Friday service, which is such a bummer. That like pierces my soul with grief. I would love to celebrate Good Friday just with the New Life East crowd, uh, but we're not able to because of what Grand Peak Academy has happening in here. So we will be at New Life North this coming Friday night, along with the Friday night community and the North community uh, celebrating Good Friday. So 6.30 p.m. at the New Life North campus. Uh, we'll see you there. Also, uh, this Sunday, like right now, this is New Life Downtown's 10-year birthday. Can you believe it? And so we're celebrating with Glenn Packiam and Jason Jackson, the crew, 10 years of God's faithfulness. They're doing so well down there. And so we're praying for them and keep them in your prayers as they discern the future. You know, they're meeting in a school just like we are. And they're also trying to figure out permanent space one day, just like we are. And they've kind of got some plans in the works maybe for that. So be praying over them. Palm Sunday. We have been, the last few weeks, we've been taking this kind of little mini-series inside of our Who is Jesus series, looking at how Jesus fulfills the three great Old Testament offices of the prophet, the priest, and the king. A prophet in the Old Testament was a person who spoke the word of God to the people of God and called them back to the way of God when they drifted away. And we saw Pastor Rory shared about how Jesus fulfills that, brings that to completion. And then we saw last week how in the Old Testament there is this office of the prophet, and the prophet mediates between God and the people of God. And so the prophet represents God to the people, but the prophet also represents the people to God. And we saw how in Jesus Christ, the coming together of those two sides of that office, office reaches a kind of perfection in Jesus that had never been seen before and has never been seen since. He is our great high priest. And this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus brings the office of the king to fruition in the Old Testament, but he does it in a very surprising way. And we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 19. Uh, the three gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John doesn't have this, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this moment that occurs towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, what we know as the triumphal entry, which, by the way, is uh, it's kind of an inaccurate thing to say because if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke on this story, this moment in the ministry of Jesus, he doesn't actually go into the city. He goes up to the city. So it's more like the triumphal approaching of the city. And so anyway, you'll feel better now. You have like this little insider knowledge and people will be like, the triumphal entry we celebrate. And you're like, well, at New Life East, we celebrated the triumphal approach to the city. Actually, don't do that. 
like some weird theological snob. But here we are. Luke has his own. All three of the gospel writers have like different nuances, like what they want to emphasize here. And we're going to see what Luke wants to emphasize here. And I think we're going to see how the kingship of Jesus is different by way of what Luke has to say. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage, that's how you say that, by the way. Everybody say Bethphage. See, now you know more biblical stuff. This is great. This is what we're supposed to do in church. Bethphage and Bethany of the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever written, uh, ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Like, so there they go. They go and they're sent ahead and they went and they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And what did they reply? The Lord needs it. And apparently this is enough. And so they brought it to Jesus and they threw their clo- uh, cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along... The people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole, I love this, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God for what? For all the miracles that they had seen. And so they say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. This moment brings the ministry of Jesus to a climax. And he'll enter into Jerusalem after this and cause quite a stir. in those events that he causes a stir about will lead to his crucifixion. And thereafter the resurrection. So this inaugurates the last week of the ministry of Jesus. And all along in his ministry, there had been this question kind of looming in the air. Like, who does this guy really think that he is? He does many amazing miracles. Again, his teaching is very compelling. Again, he behaves with this kind of authority that's very unusual. So who is it that he thinks he is? Like, what is his self-consciousness? And Jesus all along in his ministry has been dropping like little hints and clues to let people know what he thinks about himself. Early on in the ministry of Jesus, right after the temptation narratives, and he's filled with the Spirit and sent out into his ministry. In the book of Luke chapter 4, so earlier in Luke, Jesus goes into the synagogue on one Sabbath and he stands up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is given to him. You might remember this story. And he goes to the place in the scroll, Isaiah 61, where it's written, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor He's sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight for the blind, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to declare the acceptable year, the favor of the Lord. It's this like, it's this incredibly robust set of promises about what God will do one day at the end of all things when he comes to restore. And Luke says that in that moment, the eyes of everybody were fixed upon him. And this is how Jesus begins his little sermon. With all of those words of Isaiah lingering in the air, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like here and now, right now, the promises of God are being fulfilled in my person in front of your very eyes. And everybody goes, wait, who really are we dealing with here? That's the ministry of Jesus, friends. Or a little bit later in Luke, the book of Luke chapter 7, Jesus' ministry has been going on for a little bit at this point. And his cousin, John the Baptist, who baptized him in the Jordan River and really inaugurated his ministry, 
John has been thrown into prison, but John also, despite his proximity to Jesus and his familiarity with Jesus, John also has this same question. Like, who do you, Jesus, like, cuz? <laughs> hey, buddy, who do you really think you are? And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you the Messiah who was to come or should we be expecting somebody else? And do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus says to the, his, John's disciples, he says, go back and tell John that the blind receive sight and the lame walk and those who have leprosy are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Everybody goes, so is that a yes, sir? <laughs> but he's dropping these hints and clues. Or a little bit earlier in Luke chapter 18 here, actually Luke, yeah, Luke chapter 18 right at the end. You remember the story of blind Bartimaeus on the roadside as Jesus is heading into Jericho and blind Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming and he knows that Jesus is a great miracle worker, that Jesus has done all these amazing things and he's got an opportunity to have his eyes open because the Savior is approaching. And so he goes up in front of Jesus and he falls down on his knees. And do you remember what blind Bartimaeus says to Jesus? Anybody know? Son of, son of David, have mercy on me. He says it over and over again. Actually, son of David, have mercy. Do you know that that's a messianic title? That's like a way of saying like blind Bartimaeus who cannot see physically perceives accurately spiritually that he understands who Jesus is. And so he says, son of David, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus does not refute him. So all along in the ministry of Jesus, he's been dropping hints and clues about who he thinks that he is. But this moment here in Luke chapter 19, guys, this leaves absolutely no doubt about who Jesus thinks that he is. The crowds that were gathered outside of Jerusalem and were heading in for the Passover, they would have remembered the great stories of Israel's history. They would have remembered after David had secured the kingship in Israel many centuries earlier, how he came riding into Jerusalem on the very same kind of animal. He came riding in on a donkey. After he had suppressed his enemies, after he had conquered Absalom's rebellion and put everything down, he comes riding in in this exact same way into Jerusalem on a donkey. And when David's reign is done and he turns the kingship over to Absalom, do you know, or not Absalom, to Solomon, do you know what Solomon did? He rode into Jerusalem, how? On a donkey, on his dad's donkey, actually. And so they've got the memories of these moments in their minds. Furthermore, they have the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. The prophet wrote this. He said, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, how? Righteous and victorious, lowly and what? Riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The New Testament scholar R.T. France writes this about Jesus' actions this day on Palm Sunday. He says this, that this amounts to a clear messianic declaration by Jesus and the end of any secrecy on the subject. Jesus' actions are a blatant messianic self-advertisement. Jesus is leaving no doubt about who he thinks he is on um, Palm Sunday. Do you know what Jesus' actions here in Luke chapter 19 are actually like? It would be like if a group of people who thought that they were actually in charge of the United States of America, 
on Inauguration Day, went outside Washington, D.C., and they constructed their own little Capitol Rotunda. <laughs> and they got people together, and they staged an inauguration, and they got some people from the courts, you know, to have whoever this claimant to the presidency is put his hand on the Bible, and they swore him in, and then hail to the chief plate. Nobody is ambiguous at that point about what those people are saying, are they? We know what you're trying to say. You think that you're in charge here. Guys, Jesus' actions that Palm Sunday leave no doubt about who he thinks he is. Jesus is saying for anybody and everybody to hear, I am the king. I am in charge. This city belongs to me. This nation belongs to me. The heavens and the earth belong to me. I am the king of all things. Can I get an amen from somebody here? That's what Jesus' actions are designed to do that day. But what is fascinating and curious to me about Jesus is just what happens to be absent from this moment. And when I think about who Jesus is, when I think about, just as a way of kind of like getting into this, I think about the way that we talked about, so I've been, I'm born and raised in church, grew up in church my whole life. And I was born and raised in a Pentecostal charismatic church. That means a lot of things. <laughs> but among other things, it means that one of the central lenses that we use to think about the person of Jesus is that Jesus is a healer. And we always talked about this, always celebrated it. That Jesus, the stories that I remember were the most attractive stories, the most magnetic stories to me in the Gospels, were the stories of Jesus healing the blind and the lame and cleansing the leper and raising the dead. All of that, Jesus was a healer. And we believed that about Jesus and we celebrated it. And, and when I left my little charismatic tribe, I went off to a seminary up in Chicago that had more reformed leanings and started getting exposed to different movements and Christianity and all that. There was a second there that I began to think that maybe our emphasis on Jesus as a healer, as a restorer of human life, was just something that we happened to be kind of fascinated with. It was like one of the aspects of the ministry of Jesus, but of course there's many other things to be celebrated. And so this is just kind of an oddity of ours and all of that. But what I've come to see is how deeply correct it is to centrally see Jesus as a healer as a restorer. I came to learn as I started doing research on the way that the early church talked about Jesus, that one of the things, for instance, that one of the great church fathers, Athanasius of Alexandria said, is that what God has not assumed, that is the, the broken body of humanity, what God has not assumed in Jesus, he has not healed. That somehow the entirety of the ministry of Jesus, like healing isn't a part of it. That healing is actually the thing that Jesus Christ comes to do. In fact, many of the early theologians, the way that they talked about Jesus is they just called him the great physician. That what Jesus does is he heals. And that, by the way, is what marks the ministry of Jesus out as different from any other kingship than we've ever seen, than we've ever known. See, when the kings of the ancient world went out of the city, they went out on war horses. They went out to go conquer their foes. They went out to go conquer their cities. Uh, when they saw that the enemy was encamped against them, they went out on a war horse. When they came back into the city, what do you think they came back in on? They came on a, on a donkey. 
symbolizing that peace had been achieved, that the enemies have been put down, that those who were angry at them, those that were coming against them had been overthrown and peace had been achieved. So what's fascinating to me about Jesus is that he comes in on a donkey, guys, but he never went out on a war horse. (laughs) And when you look back over the ministry of Jesus, not a drop of blood was ever shed. No enemies had to bleed to make Jesus king. Nobody had to lose for Jesus to win. Nobody had to suffer for the kingdom of God to come in Jesus. Nobody bleeds in the ministry of Jesus. If the ministry of Jesus through the gospels is anything, it's like one long triumphal entry of restoration. That what he does is he heals the sick and he raises the dead and he opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears and he feeds the hungry and he welcomes the lame. All he does is put human life back together. And so he doesn't go out on a war horse, but he does come in on a donkey because the donkey is all about peace. And what Jesus does is he brings the shalom of God, guys. He brings peace. The great Saint J.R.R. Tolkien put it like this in The Lord of the Rings. He said that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer and so shall the rightful king be known. Guys, do you want to identify the activity of Jesus in your midst, in my midst, in the life of our society, in the life of our church, in the life of the world? Look for where healing is taking place. Look for where human life is being put back together. Look for where those things that were broken are being restored. Look for where those things that have been warped out of the way that God intends, all of a sudden they're brought back into proportion and harmony. Do you want to spot the kingship of Jesus? Look for the place where human life is being put back together. And it happens in all sorts of ways, in all kinds of places. I think about all of the physical healings I have seen over the years. Do you know that Jesus Christ still heals today? He does. Scripture says that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was this during the days of his earthly life in the Gospels, if he was a healer of physical bodies... He is a healer of physical bodies now by the power of his spirit. And we get stories about it all the time, about the way that Jesus is riding into people's lives and he's restoring their bodies and raising them up. I think about a guy that I heard, a story that I heard just recently. A guy was at New Life Friday night in the last couple months. And worship is happening and the spirit is moving and a ministry moment happened in the middle of that worship service. And whoever was leading that ministry moment just said, guys, The Lord is here and His Spirit is at work among us. Let's just begin to pray for miracles to break out in this house. And there was a man, Aaron Duhon in his name. Some of you in this room might know Aaron. Aaron was standing there that night a couple rows back from the front. And he's uh, an Iraq war veteran. And during the Iraq war, he had been injured and uh, had a neck injury and an airplane injury. And he only had like 15 degrees or so of range of motion in his neck. Could only go about like this and about like this. And he prayed and sought the Lord for healing for many, many years. And in so many ways, it like put it to rest in his soul, you know, that like maybe I'm just not going to get my healing, but God's still a healer and I still believe that, so I'm still praying for it, right? So he's there that night 
And this ministry moment happens and Aaron all of a sudden just begins to pray for everybody else around him. And so he's got his arms stretched out and he's praying that the healing power of the Lord breaks out and touch this person and touch that person. And Lord, restore their body and restore their mind and make right, oh God, the things that sin has made wrong. And he said, when I was praying for everybody else that night, I felt this warm sensation on the back of my neck, like somebody was putting their hand on the back of my neck. He said, and in that moment, when I felt that warmth on the back of my neck, all of a sudden I heard my neck pop like, right? And all of a sudden, he said, I turned around to see he was touching my neck and nobody was there. And all of a sudden in that moment, I realized that I'm turning my neck all the way around. He goes, and so I looked that way and then I turned it back this way. And all of a sudden I've got 180 degrees range of motion in my neck that I haven't had in 11 years. He said, so I went out of the building that night and I went to go consult my chiropractor, physician, whoever, and it's confirmed healing. And he said, and furthermore, for these last 11 years, because it was a spinal injury, I'd had tingling in my fingers. He said, all the tingling is gone. God healed me. Thanks be to God. (laughs) He's at work in our midst healing. I don't know that healing is a complex thing. I know that there are many of you here that you've been contending for healing in your body or the body of somebody that you know for many years and you haven't seen it. And I don't understand the mystery of how it works, why some people receive their healing and some people don't. But I do know that healing is a sign of the reign of Jesus and he's still doing it today. And one day, by the way, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away because the one seated on the throne who holds all authority in heaven and on earth will say, I am making all things new. One day, Our healing, all of our healing will be entirely and fully complete. And we can trust the Lord Jesus for that. Can I get an amen from somebody? But it's not just, guys. It's not just our physical bodies. But the signature of Jesus is the way that he heals us also in our relationships where things break down. And I think about a couple friends that I had years ago when I was pastoring in Denver. One of the guys was on our staff. And the other guy was just part of our congregation. These guys were lifelong friends, grew up in Texas together and had moved to Colorado together and began attending our church. And, and their relationship fell apart. And I, to this day, I don't know how it happened, but you know what it's like. Probably everybody in this room has been touched by a relational fallout in some way. Or sometimes it's just going along and offenses start to pile up and all of a sudden cracks begin to build in the foundation. And all of a sudden, one day, boosh, the bottom of the relationship falls out and it happens to them. And it was so heartbreaking for all of us because we loved them both and it was a small community. Few hundred, actually, actually, the community was just a little bit smaller than New Life East. And so many of us loved them and cared for them. So we came around them and tried to provide mediation and support and get them back together. And what conver- who needs to say they're sorry to who? And what do we got to do, you know, to put the thing back together? And we were out of options and I remember a helplessness descending, not just on them, but on descending on all of us. And there, are, there comes like a point in time, guys, where all you can do when a relationship is so fraught and broken, all you can do is fall on your knees and just plead with Jesus. Would you have mercy, Jesus, on our brother, son of David? Have mercy on these men. And we did. We cried out and we prayed for them. And one year... During that whole thing, about this time of year was Holy Week. We had at our church in Denver, we hosted every year a Maundy Thursday service. You know what Maundy Thursday is? 
the beautiful service where you celebrate the washing of feet. You remember that. John chapter 13. And the last supper of Jesus with his disciples. Then that word mandi comes from the Latin word mandatum. Mandatum novum. The new commandment. Jesus. That last moment with disciples gives them the new commandment. And do you remember the new commandments? Love one another. How? As I have loved you, Jesus says, and by this, the whole world is going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And so at a Monday, Thursday service, you lean into that. You tell that story again and you take the last supper together again with each other. And you also wash each other's feet. And so we had foot washing stations. There was a room about this big. And we had foot washing stations set up all over the space. And the way that it worked is that if you wound up in line uh, to get your feet washed, the person in front of you, you washed their feet. And then you turned around, and that person whose feet you wash, they turn around and they wash your feet as well. So you return the favor that's given to you. And these guys, whose relationship had fallen apart, somehow, some way, they wind up in the same line with each other. And we're watching them. And all of us who are on staff, all of us leaders in the community, like we're watching this happen in front of our very eyes, where the one guy gets down on his knees in front of the other guy, and he's washing his feet. And we had everybody that did this, that participated in this little ritual, say what Peter said to Jesus. You remember what Peter says to Jesus? No, right? Jesus, you can't do that. You can't wash my feet. And what does Jesus say? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so we had the people that were getting their feet washed and the people that were washing feet exchange those greetings. And to watch the breach that had fallen between these two people and they're crying as they're washing, washing each other's feet, it was, well, it was like watching the kingdom come. It was like watching the, watching the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. That somehow Jesus, through the worship of his people, he brings these two men back together. And all of a sudden the threads of their relationship are being rewoven together. And we watch the Lord over the course of many months begin to put their relationship back together. Guys, thanks be to God do you know that that's the mark of the ministry of Jesus? That what he does, he doesn't just heal us physically, but he heals us relationally. And all the places where our lives have fallen apart, where darkness has fallen between us, and we can't find our way back. Do you know who knows the way back? Jesus does. And we can trust him with those things. But it's not just physically. And it's not just relationally. But it's also socially beyond the boundaries of the church. Jesus is at work putting things back together. Remember hearing a story years ago, a former NFL player, Aeneas Williams, played for, he played for the Arizona Cardinals for many years and then went to play for the St. Louis Rams. And Aeneas was a believer, is a believer. And when he retired from the Rams, he felt this ministry call in his heart. And so him and his wife, back in 2007, they planted a little church in the basement of their home there in 2007, he said, first service, we had four people. It was me and my wife and my daughters. <laughs> worshiping in our basement. We felt like the Lord called us to start this little community. So we did. Then we kept worshiping together and praying for one another and preaching the gospel and welcoming people in. And over the course of several years, the Lord built this community up to 300, 400, 500 people. And they met in various locations around St. Louis, including some very like ritzy kind of posh neighborhoods that are really nice and all that. And one year, this was 2013, Aeneas and his wife were thinking about like, Lord, like their lease had come up on the place that they were renting from. And so they're going, Lord, where, where do you want to take us? What's the next move for us? 
And they kept, you know, like the natural progression is we got to find a nicer neighborhood to go to, you know, somewhere where people have money, they can pay the bills, you know, and then we can do more ministry and all of that. And they felt this pull in their hearts to not go to the places that were so nice, but to go to the places where there was great human need. And so they decided to rent a little hotel space in Ferguson, Missouri. 2013, they moved to Ferguson. One of the more diverse communities, 65% African-American, I, I think, and, mostly, and then the rest was mostly white. And they plant the church there. And this multicultural community is starting to come together. And he said, we spent about a year there and we could not figure out why has the Lord led us to this place? Why would he bring us to Ferguson? I know the work that we're doing here and it's good work and we're seeing the church grow and people are being reached, but what are we here for? And then in August of 2014... Michael Brown was shot and killed. And it sparked not just local protests and uprising and riot, but national protests and uprising and riot. And that community was being torn to shreds. And Aeneas said, all of a sudden, right there in that moment, I realized like it all clicked into place. Why has God led us to this community? God has led us here to stand in the gap where everything is falling apart. And nobody trusts each other anymore. Where the black community is frustrated at the white community. And the white community is frustrated at the black community. We can't seem to talk to each other. Instead, we're talking past each other and making accusations. And the whole thing is degenerating. He said, in that moment, I realized why God has led us here. And so we started going out into the streets and just talking with anybody that would talk with us. Hey, tell us what's going on in your heart. Tell us what you're seeing. Tell us about your concerns. Tell us how this hurts you. Tell us how this touches you. He said, wave upon wave, Saturday after Saturday, we would go out into the community. They would send like groups of people into communities, knocking on doors going, hey, we're from the Spirit Church just down the road. And you can see it's white and black and everything in between is with us. But we just want to hear your heart, your concerns. What do you see? How can we make things better? And pretty soon these guys from this community are hosting forums in the community to try to bring the black community and the white community together. In peace, as a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Who is responsible for things like that? Jesus is responsible for things like that. Guys, this is what the work of Jesus Christ is. Paul says that what God does in Jesus is he's taking all of the things that had been alienated and estranged and he's bringing them together, summarizing them in Jesus Christ, putting them back together. And if we cannot see that in the ministry of Jesus, then we don't understand his reign at all. We don't know anything about the ministry of King Jesus until we see and know his will to restore human life. There is never a moment in the ministry of Jesus when he is anything less than this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, was leading them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And they don't wait for an answer, do they? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear. And what did he do? 
and he healed him. Down to the most insignificant piece of human flesh, just that little thing. And Jesus goes, what's that there? Do you understand why my father has sent me into the world? Do you understand what my mission is? Do you understand what I've been doing from the very beginning? I've been putting human life back together. So that little thing that maybe doesn't mean a lot to all of us here, but it means a lot to this person, I'm going to take that thing and I'm going to restore it. And I think, by the way, that it's pretty significant that the thing that Jesus restores in the Garden of Gethsemane is an ear. Because as the scripture says, if anybody has ears, let them hear. And that is the question of Palm Sunday, isn't it? Do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see? Do we have ears to hear the call of the Messiah in a world that's being torn to shreds? In a world that's being ripped apart, when our families are being torn apart and human life is being torn apart, when nation is rising up against nation and people against people, what does it mean to be a people of King Jesus? It means that somehow we accept the call to move into all the spaces that the Lord our God has called us as healers and as restorers, as menders of the breach, as the ones who are willing to lay down our lives, to exhaust ourselves of power for the sake of seeing the kingdom of God built up, his kingdom come and his will be done. Paul writes in Colossians 1, and with this we'll make the turn into communion. Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in who? And through him, (laughs) oh Jesus, to reconcile to himself how many things? All the things in heaven and on earth by what? Making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How does God show his reign in the world? He pours his life out. Will we? Would you stand? Have mercy on us, O Jesus. Have mercy on us, O Jesus. Family, would you lift your hands up to the heavens and just begin to call upon Jesus, the healer and the restorer. We're praying for the advent of your presence here and now. That you would move among us to heal, to restore. We say to you, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We're praying it over broken minds and broken bodies. We say Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We're praying for it over broken marriages and relationships and friendships. We say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we pray it for a world that is in desperate need of your healing touch. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this moment, Lord Jesus, we yield ourselves to you. We ask that you change us in the innermost, that you'd convict us and make us clean, make us new creations. And we pray that you would use us as your hands and your feet, that in the same way that you restored in the first century, you are restoring now. Teach it to us. Help us know it.
Teach us your ways, O God, that we may follow your paths. Guide us in your truth and lead us for your God, our Savior, and our hope is in you all day long. And we make this our prayer before you, Lord Jesus. We say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now here is the good news, friends. He has given us of his spirit. The blood of Jesus. No blood is shed in the ministry of Jesus until he sheds his own. And that is the blood that forgives us, that makes us clean, that makes us new creations. Paul says that if anybody is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old things have, behold all things. And that's you this morning, new creations. If you can receive that, would you give God praise this morning? Let's sing this song of worship in response. And then Pastor Rory is going to lead us to the table.
the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you simply in this moment give him thanks for the places that you have seen that healing arise in your own life? Maybe for some of us it's giving him thanks for the places that we with faith believe that the healing will show up. Many times we find ourselves right on the precipice of what will feel, be, feel like healing, what may be healing. So Jesus, we thank you for those moments even before they come. We thank you with faith and with mystery. I imagine in the same way the disciples thanked you on the night that you took bread and you broke it. That Jesus caused no violence, that no one was hurt, no one was wounded in his ministry until it was him. On that night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you eat, would you do this in remembrance of me? New Life East, would you take that bread, would you break it and would you eat? That same night he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. A foreshadowing of the one moment of violence that Jesus would experience where he would lay down his life so that our lives would be made whole and find healing. New Life East, would you take and would you drink? Now would you join together in singing the doxology? Hosanna in the highest. Family, lift your hands. Receive this benediction as you go. You've been made new creations by Jesus Christ, saved by Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit by Jesus Christ. You are the body of Jesus Christ. And so I say to you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you. May he give you his peace. May he make you carriers of his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward this morning. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you and with you. Make sure to join us for fellowship hour, coffee, donuts, and friendship, all of the good things. New Life East, you are loved. We'll see you for Good Friday this Friday, 6.30 p.m. at the North Campus. You are loved. Go in peace to love and serve the world. See you soon.